Hello, hello, and welcome to A Life Extraordinary. I'm your show host, Roberto Gibbons Gomez, coming to you from Whistler, British Columbia. Um, I'm very excited today because I've got a friend, tech entrepreneur, serial entrepreneur, woman extraordinaire, businesswoman, public speaker, out-of-the-box thinker, and mother of two, Devin Brooks, with me today. Now, I've come over to do my interview with her, but with Colin, at the moment, I we both have our different phones, and we get feedback if we're too close together. So we're in different rooms doing this interview, which is kind of cool, um, and I'm very excited that I will be receiving a new kit uh, from Colin to do my interviews in person, and then perhaps add some video component to it so you, you guys could see the live interview. So without further ado, I invite Mrs. Devin Brooks to unmute her microphone and uh, welcome to the show. Hi, from the Hi. other room. <laughs> <laughs> How are you? I'm great. Yeah, I feel really good. Today was a super chock-a-block day. As you know, you walked in. I was like, okay, okay, let's go. Let's <laughs> I think you almost <laughs> forgot me. Well, no, you're, you are <laughs> unforgettable. But oh, thanks. I was a few minutes behind. <laughs> <laughs> so a little busy being a tech entrepreneur starting uh, businesses while you're taking care of two kids in a mountain town that it's needed to take a few laps here and there. Yeah, I mean, I think what you and I can both attest to is that living in this kind of an environment, having such ready access to nature, true rugged wilderness, and is just completely beneficial to every aspect of life from parenting to you know, what you do creatively um, or intellectually. So yeah, it, being here is a big part of, you know, how I care for myself and a big part of my experience as a business person, creator and yep. parent. And yeah, a little busy these days. So so <laughs> let's, let's, take, let's take people back a little bit into the history of who Devin is and, uh, and start off with you were in college thinking of starting a business with mm -hmm. some friends. Yeah, um, I I had I think I was about sixteen uh, when I started working on business plans and and workshopping different business ideas. Um, my my first little business was actually when I uh, was sixteen and came back from living in Los Angeles by myself and decided that I was going to be known as the brow girl in Vancouver. Right. And I started a little side hustle um, doing eyebrows for cash and, um, you know, printed these posters and approached this woman called Irene who had started one of the first nail bars in um, that I had ever seen in Canada, sort of a modernized concepts of a traditional what, spa. What, what's a, a manicure pedicure. So what's a, she started a, a nail spa or a, what did you say? Right, exactly. A nail bar. So nail the difference okay. between a nail bar and a nail spa is that there aren't all those other services. So it's a streamlined, singular service. Gotcha. Uh, in this case, you know, fast, more affordable nails. And, um, and so I set up my little chair in her front window and I was 16 and I said, Hey, Irene, I see that you are super busy and congratulations on your new business. 
but you have a wait line of, you know, five to 15 people all day long outside and people walk away when they can't get in fast enough. So what if I set up in the front windows of your shop and I turned out a person every 20 minutes for eyebrows to tweeze and shape eyebrows and you got to keep two or $3 from every client that I did. All you got to do is let me sell to the people who are in line and give me a stool in the window. And that's what she did. And I was booked every 20 to 30 minutes, um, you know, Saturdays and Sundays all through 16 no and way. 17 before university. I, yeah. I didn't know this at all uh, about you being well, uh, a so young entrepreneur. We're to learn about each other. <laughs> that's for sure. That's most definitely for sure. Okay. So from there, where did this develop into? Because I, I know, I, I feel I know the tangent here, but I'd love to hear it from you. <laughs> well, you know, at the through line is that... Um, I had this experience. I was inspired by um, that movement, but that's not necessarily when I came up with the concept for Blow Blow Dry Bar. It was actually almost a year and a half, uh, two years later, Mm -hmm. I guess two full years later when I had moved to London, England. Um, So back from LA and back from Vancouver over to London, England, and um, started going to the London College of Fashion. And I was in my, I believe, second year of university. And I, I think it's very important to specify to people which London, because if it was London, Ontario, it doesn't have the same <laughs> pizzazz per se. But sorry, please continue. <laughs> not that London, Ontario is not a lovely place, but no, it was the fashion, uh, you know, and Capital of the, and yeah. of the world. Yeah, of the world, definitely. basically, yeah. London, I mean, London next to um, Paris and New York mm-hmm. and, you know, you name it, um, are some of the most important cities in the world for music and arts and culture and fashion. So certainly I went to school. Mm-hmm. I was the sister school to Central St. Martin's, which is sort of the leading design school in the world. And, um, you know, I think it's also worth mentioning that I picked this school because they didn't have exams. So I was really intentional about, you know, picking a school that was super hands-on. I loved it because it's professors uh, worked in industry. So often your teachers would be canceling class because, you know, they were um, on set with, uh, you know, insert designer. And, um, and I just was so inspired at this school. And in my second year of university, I had a small business uh, course. And mm-hmm. the teacher said, look, like, work on a business idea. And I'm going to teach you how to create, you know, a fully formed business plan. And I was on the phone with my mom. And she had already started two businesses at that point that she was growing. They were not in kind of beauty or consumer, um, but two successful businesses, um, no doubt. And Mm -hmm. she had just gone to this event for women in business in Canada. It was called the WXN Women in 100 or Women 100. And um, the 100 most powerful women in Canada is what it was. Um, And she, she and I were on the phone laughing as we did. And she said, you know, I was at this event, Dev, and the hundred most powerful women in business in Canada look like shit. Right. <laughs> I was like, what? Okay. What are you talking 
thinking about where is this going? Yeah. She just said, look, you know, I noticed that they had their manicures done. They had, they had all thought about what they were wearing, but like everybody had gym ponytails. And why is that? And we just joked that, you know, this is, this is a high net worth group of women. So they, it's not that they Mm -hmm. do not have the means or can't create the time to go do that thing. But it was just that blow dries at the time were only available in a salon setting. And so you had right. to deal with, you know, really heinous wait times. Um, yep. It took way too long, sometimes an hour to two hours, um, depending on, you know, who started you and who finished you. Because often they would have a floor, um, like a floor level person who was, let's say, sweeping when you walked mm-hmm. in. And that person would wash you and then they'd get you halfway dry. And then at some point when the actual stylist who was good was available, they would take a break from whatever cut or color they were doing, and then they'd step in and finish your blow dry, and you'd be on your way for, you know. That, that sounds see. like a really long process to me as a guy. That's like, uh, arduous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Any, right. whoever you are, it's arduous. Right. Man or a woman, it takes yeah. a long time. <laughs> or anyone. Um, yeah, too long, too cumbersome, too annoying, yeah. and too expensive. It, it mm-hmm. was, you know, on average in or, you know, urban meccas, $150 or more. Um, wow. In some cases, $200, $225 in New York at a really good salon or, you know, or the opposite, too cheap, not good. <laughs> right, 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 right. And, and so that was what was really taking shape for my mom, Judy, and I on that call. And I said, you know what? What would we call this if we were going to build this? And we both said blow dry bar. And we said, well, what do right. what would we call it? And we said, oh, we'd call it blow. But we would drop the W because if someone tried to Google it, it would be gross. So yes, <laughs> we dropped the W and we called that's it a, blow blow. Dry that's a very bar. strong like like it's a strong name. It's got lots of connotations mm-hmm. to it, um, and cheeky. I think it takes yeah, it's cheeky. I think it takes some braveness or. Uh, guts to be like, you know what, this is great, but, but when you start to use it, it, it's wicked and it, it, it stays. So, so from inception of this idea, where did you go next? Yeah. So I, um, I said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take this, I'm gonna workshop it and I'm going mm-hmm. to, um, write this up as a business plan. And that's what I did over the next two weeks. I turned that idea into a business plan. And I remember what we wrote on the top. We said, um, I want Blow Blow Dry Bar to be the Starbucks of the beauty regime. Mm -hmm. And what that meant to me was, you know, fast, um, affordable, like luxury level, Mm -hmm. but where you have reconsidered the cost of something. And so you've taken something that was luxury and you've made it an affordable luxury. Yeah. And um, and I had this you know vision of them being street level, highly brand focused, brand oriented, and you know on um, high streets or main streets in key areas, just like Starbucks. Mm-hmm. And um, that's no doubt what Blow became. So we launched that business in 2007. I was just turning 21. Yep. Um, we started in Vancouver, Canada, in Yaletown, Vancouver, where our first location was. We grew via franchise and license um, first across Canada and then into the U.S. and around the world. There's over 100 locations around the world today. And oh, it wow. Actually be- yeah, it's, it's sparked <laughs> the category 
um, which became the blow dry bar category, which became the fastest growing category in beauty over the next decade. Wow, that's really impressive. And how how much less did it cost someone to go blow dry their hair versus the 150 you had quoted before? Yeah, so it took about 30 minutes and it was about $30. So $30. Oh, wow. So so you, you, you found a need of something that was missing and then uh, went after that. And did you, did you stay with that for a long or, or did, was it the time to start new businesses and, and new ideas soon after? Yeah, we definitely, I mean, I, that was my fledgling, you know, adult entrepreneur Baby. experience. <laughs> and right. I, it was my formative years of my adulthood and entrepreneurship. And so that was a big part of my early mid twenties. And by the time I was hitting my mid late twenties, we were negotiating our exit to our merger partners. So we'd um, merge with partners over the course of uh, the recent years. And we ended up selling our shares to our partners. And, and at that time I really sat and thought about, you know, what it was that just lit me up and gave me such optimum joy and in that business and it was people development so Mm -hmm. i followed my mom's footsteps and i started leadership coaching across canada the u.s and mexico and my mom was a coach her first business was around um, conflict resolutions and conversation and conflict management so this was a huge part of my vernacular and my DNA as a, as a communicator. Well, and so I started my own coaching practice and continued that for six years. You're an extremely good communicator and, uh, and very, very well spoken. So this is, this is absolutely awesome. So you went and you, but you didn't just start a coaching business. You started what I see and I, I've seen since you've been growing it more like a, a revolution in a way of coaching in our tech savvy world. So tell me a little bit about what is Sphere and uh, and how people can get on there. Yeah, so Sphere is a membership based experience that is democratizing access to personal and professional coaching. So what that means to us is really taking again that same concept of a service that was only for the few and making it accessible to all and and personal and professional coaching unlike um let's say fitness coaching or other types of coaching really orients around scientifically proven outcomes so coaching enhances creativity and cognitive flexibility and optimism and well-being and and social and emotional intelligence and I saw this as um, being such a clear opportunity to take something that drives what the World Economic Forum has called the top skills of tomorrow mm-hmm. and, and makes it accessible and affordable for all. And similar to Blow, um, you know, after spending six years as a coach, I just saw how expensive coaching was. I was charging yeah. $400 an hour. Most coaches were charging a few, a few hundred dollars an hour. But I learned that um, that was actually because all of these folks were, you know, solo entrepreneurs running um, small businesses and being full-time coaches. And that's what coaches didn't realize was happening, was that they would do what I did. Wow, what I love the most about my job and my work in this world is helping people grow 
then they go on and become coaches. But what they don't realize is they also have to do accounting, invoicing, yeah, the business, business side, yeah. social media, all the stuff. <laughs> you know how it goes. And, um, and so I saw an opportunity to take that all off the table for them and give them access to a steady stream of, you know, best fit clients. We call them seekers. Mm-hmm. And what that does for people who want to grow is it, it removes that barrier to entry of which there are many um, right. before sphere on coaching, which is price um, attainability. So coaching had grown by referral. If you didn't knew, uh, already know a leader who had had coaching, the chances were that it was going to be really hard to find yeah, one for yeah, you. For sure. And here it is, you know, this, this service that has now been scientifically proven to enhance all those skills we talked about, optimism, well-being, creativity, social and emotional intelligence. And and I wanted to make it accessible, affordable, inviting, and convenient. And, and so we built Sphere. That, that's amazing. I think it's a platform um, that since you were creating it, I was like, that's a another need filled. And, and you're able to peruse the profiles of the coaches and uh, and see other people's feedback on them, I think, as well. That's right. Well, it's so funny because I remember the first time I shared this idea with you and you were like, Dev, you have to stay with this. Like, this is one of those businesses with so much potential. And I remember even to this day, you're... We're at the the Airstream by the fire. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Naturally, as we do. Of course. And um, yeah, I just remember your genuine excitement. And it's so interesting because you were on to something then when you talked about why this isn't a market with so much potential of which it very much is it's a it's you know 4.2 trillion dollars the wellness market and coaching alone is 15 billion dollars in just the u.s and And a lot of people don't realize don't realize that the successful people are the ones that often use coaches like you oh, you've yeah. coached you've coached CEOs and presidents and uh, of companies and things like that right so so even people at the top level indeed oftentimes to get to the top level coaching is a big big help oh my gosh and you said it roberto and the truth is that if you really sit somebody down who is very successful in their craft and remunerated well for it and you say listen Walk me through, you know, how you get your um, finances done, how you created your investment mm-hmm. strategy, how you maintain such great health and fitness, why you're always so calm and such a great communicator. They're not like, well, you know what? I just woke up like this. Yeah. They're like, <laughs> I have one person in every category that you just went through and sometimes even more than one person. And those are the people who I strategize my life with and who I strategize my goals with and who helped me stay accountable to all of those um, objectives in different areas of life. So yeah, exactly. And I remember you saying, you talking about your line of work as a creator and what you very much are, you know, I know you identify as many other things like an adventurer and a, and a you know, an outdoor yeah. and experiences guy. There are so many things, but ultimately you're a creator. And, and I remember you talking about, you know, people in your space and what you were seeing with influencers and how many of those people were facing fatigue and overwhelm and Mm -hmm. not knowing how to run their businesses. And, and then when they did do well and they were starting, you know, 
teams of contractors, they themselves would not know how to manage them or get the yeah. most out of them or communicate with them. And in fact, you know, this is such a huge market and opportunity for Sphere. There are more than 50 million creators worldwide, and they are one of the highest growth, most underserved and in need audience. I don't know if you know this, but in, um, in the last two years, um, freelancers are now predicted to become the U.S. workforce majority. Oh, wow. Within yeah, the that's, next decade. So, that, like, imagine. I, I've been seeing this coming a long ways away. You know, when, when we first broke into getting, uh, shooting for a newspaper or a magazine, the old stock photographers would say, Oh, you're never going to get into this. We only have three photographers and, and whatnot. And then with the advent of Facebook and social media, the, the jobs just decentralized when it came to creation and content creation and, and media and media consumption. It just decentralized with the internet and, and all mm -hmm. these social medias. And, and I've been seeing like more and more that this independent creator, whether it be a photographer, a writer, a podcaster, that we, they're all going out on their own, but their businesses and the majority of them have no idea how to send the proper email or an invoice. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. So, yeah. Let alone, you know, communicate as a leader or yeah. have difficult conversations. I mean, now you add on top of two years of a pandemic and we now officially have the most compromised uh, generation ever in terms of well-being. 48% yeah. of Gen Z, so half, and 44% yeah. of millennials, a pinch less than half, yeah. feel stressed all or most of the time. And Gen Z, the next gen, faces the most overall barriers to their well-being. And and how are our children feeling throughout this pandemic that didn't get to see their friends, didn't go to get to train for the Olympics, didn't have their regular hockey uh, meets that they would have? And we're told, oh, actually, it's like, you know, as a high schooler, you think that each year is the most important year of your entire existence. And so you're mm -hmm. like, you're like, oh, next year I'm going to be playing on the basketball team on, on midgets, and this is going to be incredible and life-changing and oh, wait, you've been waiting this for like three years and there is no midget basketball. Actually, there's no school. And if you were thinking of maybe going to uh, a dance and meeting a girl and giving a kiss, well, don't forget about COVID. <laughs> like, this is traumatizing. What do those poor kids do? Like, I never had to think like, oh my God, am I going to get something from this kiss that could kill my grandmother? You know? Right. Well, exactly. <laughs> and now you're talking about you know, we were just talking about Gen Z and millennials, and now you're talking about even the next generation of adults yeah. in 20 years. And the impact of the last 24 months are freaking enormous, Roberto. Yeah. I saw a study, which we'll have to find the source of and like post it somewhere in a description on Instagram when we talk about our podcast together. Yes. And the, it is something to the tune of, two-year-olds born after January, in or after January 2020, so kids under two today, have dropped 26 IQ points developmentally compared oh. to children under two in any previous year. And you know what's crazy is this is the equivalent of going back, you know, 50 to 100 years in development. And you think about oh, wow. how much more yeah. is getting well, thrown at kids today. They are, we yeah. are. Wear a mask all day. And then. <laughs> oh yeah. 
we're going to be dealing like, with the ramifications of this for the rest of our lives. Absolutely. You know, what if the, you know, I'm definitely on, on the mask thing, like Mikio didn't take his mask this morning and Shireen was like, oh, geez, you know, I feel bad about that. I'm like, it's, it's okay. But we're both, we both wish he didn't have to wear a mask at school because for a child not to be able to see the facial expressions of his or her peers and, and not to mention the facial expressions of the teachers when being reprimanded, when something's being said positive must be huge because all of the social cues, half or three quarters of the social cues uh, that you're supposed to receive on anything that's being told to you come from nonverbal, uh, mm-hmm. you know, speaking. So, so what is, what are these children okay. going to recognize for future? Are they going to be like, like a uh, borderline Asperger's that they just don't get it? Like they don't see it in a way right. sometimes the social right. cues and, and it's concerning. It's definitely, uh, very concerning. Yeah. It's been nice to have our bubbles with, with uh, you guys and some other friends here throughout the oh, pandemic. And Roberto just living where we live. Yeah. We are so lucky because we just didn't get hit like our friends in Montreal, Toronto, New York, LA in terms of, I mean, we all got affected in one way or another, but at yeah. least you and I oh, and our families was... could walk out our front door and be in nature without well, you know putting someone in jeopardy or or thinking that you are somehow in jeopardy. And actually we went for exercises and bike rides and yeah. and there was there was almost nobody in town because three times uh, as many bike rides as yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. you know and sometimes I'd be on the valley trail and I'd be like, "Oh, there's there's wow, there's a I'm seeing a lot of everybody on the valley trail." Mm-hmm. And and I'd be like, "Oh, that's a lot of people." But when we had to go to Vancouver, when we had our scare with the baby coming, um, we were on the streets of Vancouver, and when everybody has to be in the city, and and they're at home and they're not going to work, that it was masses of people on the streets. It was horrifying. I was walking down the street with the stroller and the kids. I was like, wishing the bottom of my shoes wasn't touching anything. Um, mm. So yes, we definitely have had it very, very easy uh, to compared to our uh, friends and family that are in places that are not uh, outdoorsy and Whistler like. Yeah, um, or yeah. or or what's worse, in places that are inherently a part of nature, or in third world countries, or in villages where now they're facing famine and yes. like ridiculous supply chain issues, where as yeah. a result of you know the the pandemic and supply chain being oriented towards um, more wealthy areas yeah. in the world, we now have third world countries that are even worse off than they were two years ago. I know we, we focus on, oh, geez, the color of my sunglasses didn't come in because there's a supply issue on the ink that does the sunglasses. And there's people like in third world countries that need uh, important machinery to be able to do some farming or even maybe something that we see as simple, like a backhoe uh, for a farm and they can't get access to it. So mm-hmm. and they therefore mm-hmm. can't create the food that their children need to eat. So it, and then tourism has been knocked off its feet worldwide mm-hmm. and so much of the world is dependent on it and we're very very close to the tourism world and so it's very sad to see um that so many places that rely almost entirely on it that their incomes have been completely stripped with an uncertainty that we still don't know how long we'll go for um right no yeah it, it is just absolutely uh really riveting actually just the impact that this time will have and you know, the, the big thing here is, is community care. It's this idea of really what I hope is that 
there's only two ways to go. I guess I'll say this in simple form. When difficult things such as this happen in our lives, there are literally two directions. It sounds oversimplified, but it's not. And one is the direction of fear and one is the direction of love. And that is it. And so this is the opportunity we have is to decide which direction we're going to go and really reflect and sit with our own behaviors and actions and language and think, what am I role modeling? Am I role modeling somebody that's choosing and orienting towards fear or role modeling, you know, a, a spirit, an individual that's orienting towards love. And that's the only way we get out of all yeah. this. And that's the only way we persevere and thrive. And uh, see, and I, and I agree 100% with you. Your, your ideas flow very eloquently and very uh, easy to understand. And I think people will definitely appreciate that. But going on to a bit of the brighter side, what does the future hold in store for Mrs. Devin Brooks um, with with her app? What with that? I heard a story of perhaps uh, not a dream, but an ambition to have a mm. electric sailboat and <laughs> something like that. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a huge material person. Uh, there was a time when I owned a pair of like twenty five hundred dollar boots. Those times are gone. Right, <laughs> um, but. I will say that, you know, now living in nature, um, I place high value on having awesome gear and resources or tools that help us be one with nature or, you know, really, um, really have it be a deep part of our lives. And sailing is huge for me. I lived on a sailboat for a year when I was a teenager. And I'm very, very, very jealous that you got to be on <laughs> Class Afloat, which we used to come through Montreal as well. And it's a sailboat that you go to a year living aboard the boat and learning at the same time, right? That's right. Yeah, I, I did uh, two semesters, so a full year. I flew to Poland. I did sail training for two weeks, having done very little to no sailing before. Mm -hmm. And then we sailed to over 30 countries around the world. Um, yeah, over the next 12 months. Oh, that's incredible. I would, I would love to send any and all my kids on, uh, on an adventure like that. So I would, maybe we'll build one together. Yes. We're, we're, we're creating a cool enough community of parents and kids (laughs) here that, uh, that perhaps we could fill it. Um, (laughs) That's not such a bad idea. Um, and, And so, and so this is where the, the seed of desire to, to, to go sail away perhaps for some time in the not too distant future. Yeah. I mean, I just, um, it is, you know, some people have vision boards with lots of things on it. And I, I think this is one of the only material things on my vision board, you know, other than feelings and, and, um, and vistas or landscapes that inspire me and that I want to attract more of in my life is, is because of how it increases your lifestyle. And, you know, my imagination, um, goes to, you know, hosting very special adventure experiences for dear friends and their families and, you know, spending summers in the broken island. So this for me is my one material motivation. Everything else is really, um, is really about community care and altruism and, 
And I guess even that it's so funny because I say material, but the reality is for me, it is all about community and bringing people together and showing people this beautiful backyard of ours, British Columbia in ways that they just don't get to experience because they're not making the same choices as us or or don't have the privilege of of making the same choices. Well, on the material things I was going to say, and it's pretty cool that in a way, I think that we, and I could speak for both of us, have a lot of the material things that already add to a very... Um, very in, intertwined with nature life from our mountain bikes, right? Because we got sick mountain oh, yeah. bikes. <laughs> don't don't for, <laughs> don't forget those. And yeah. uh, I I do believe you have uh, an e bike as well, and yeah, and we have canoes awesome. and kayaks and so and paddle I, and, and paddleboards and and the the clothing that, that's required for going on adventures. You know, right now I've. I'm going to Africa Anything tomorrow. Anything Gore-Tex, you can yeah. just put dollar signs in front of, basically. But, but isn't it cool that in a way we've already reached some of our goals, which is to have the things that just we need in order to enjoy life what, that in a way that for us is, is coolest, which is being outdoorsy and, and out uh, on the trails with our kids and on the slopes. I saw Rosen, uh, one mm-hmm. of your little ones, was... Uh, tearing up the mountain like there's no tomorrow. Um, so, so I think it's pretty cool that that uh, our we're almost we're there already in many ways. Then, oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I had a moment about a year ago, um, and you and I can relate on this because we both live in small spaces here in Whistler, and. What do you mean? My castle, my house is a castle. (laughs) (laughs) It is a castle in your mind and in your heart. Yes. (laughs) Thank you. Yep. I was walking into my cottage and it's a two bedroom cottage. It's a little under 700 square feet. It's kind of like an old school, one level, like modular style rancher. And I was walking in, my kids were in tow, my little dog. And as putting, you know, the key in my door and I thought to myself, the sun was shining really holy shit even if you made all the money in the world tomorrow your life wouldn't change it doesn't get better than this and I remember my whole body feeling warm and feeling goosebumps and having this glow in my heart and pride knowing that it actually created a life for myself and my children you know, in support of and in collaboration with my family, that was my best life. And literally no amount of money in the world would change how good we already feel. It just changes, you know, the capacity with which you do things at or the level of luxury or whatever. But it doesn't change that you're already living principally with the things that give you the most joy and I felt so much pride and that really has been something that I meditate on daily in the mornings you know while it's still dark outside and I sit on my floor and you know I call in whatever archangels or (laughs) insert goddess when I (laughs) ding all my little chimes and all the things um, bang on the floor and I think about what how I'm so grateful, my deep, deep, deep sense of gratitude. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to self for making the choices that we make. And I think that, and it, it really shapes, you know, how I am as a business person, it shapes the, the clarity. And I think the bravery and courage that I have 
with my team to continue to um, build Sphere and to reach Sphere towards its potential. We have huge mammoth potential to uh, support community care in the world in such a widespread and monumental way. I mean, through our first projects, from our partnerships to contemplating and starting families to trying to reach towards financial stability and navigating new types and alternative retirements to trying to create purposeful careers, like you name it, there are so many milestones in life where we go, oh, how I got to where I am isn't going to get me to what I want to experience next. And these are all the moments that coaching is just so powerful. Um, And so, you know, I'm extremely excited about what we're building at Sphere and about the potential it has to really, really support people in thriving through ambiguity and uncertainty, which is the only one thing that is certain. And I, I would think that, uh, just for speaking to you, that you must be the coach that's most in demand <laughs> because you <laughs> well, give a feeling of inspiration, of balance, uh, I think the, the, of, of knowledge, um, and, and insight. And I think that there must be so many people that are probably, uh, knocking on your door, but you probably had to say, no, 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 please. I, I have other coaches for those independent, uh, aspects that you're looking for. No. <laughs> Or oh, do you well, coach? You're so kind. You're so kind. I, we have over 400 guides in this year ecosystem from all around the world, different cultures and races and backgrounds and um, languages. And amazing. You know, it is so important to have access to a medley, a wide variety of not only kinds of people with different backgrounds and cultural understandings or affiliations, but also different specializations. There are some times when what you're working on and what you want to achieve is a new feeling or experience in your relationship or work or as a leader. And those Mm -hmm. are all different types of coaching and you may work with different coaches. So, you know, on sphere, when you get matched with your best fit guides, you may find yourself oscillating between, you know, starting with a career and leadership coach and then eventually three to six sessions in going, oh, this shit works. Now I'm going to pull my partner into a session and I want to get relationship coaching. And, you know, this is very true. On average, people work with mm-hmm. 2.2 guides um, in an 18-month oh, period on Sears. Mm-hmm. And do they, will they use two different types of guides around the same time or like, and oscillate between the two or will they just go to one for a certain time? And maybe at this point in my life, I'm looking for uh, a business coach and later on it's more relationship oriented. Um, and, and also I guess the next question would be, how do you match people? Is it by uh, both the coaches uh, and the, the, or you would call them the guides and the seekers, mm-hmm. um, the seekers just put out a list of the things, the interest they have, what they're looking for uh, and the, the guides are specialists in these departments, basically? Right, yeah. So um, they're all vetted, certified, um, and held to third-party standards and ethical training, Um, you know, deeply specialized guides um, that you're getting access to and match with in Sphere. And the algorithm that we built is totally proprietary. It's built from really two key things, the qualitative and, and quantitative learnings and outcomes of 
over 100 interviews between myself and coaches about their best fit clients that achieve their, you know, desired outcomes. Mm -hmm. And, and also with clients about what constituted a great fit for them. And often what we learned was it was the wild card that, that people ended up gravitating towards. It was the one whose profile they thought, I don't know, this is like, kind of might have butterflies in my stomach about this person, you know, because they feel a bit out of left field for me, but I'm going to give them a try. And that's often the the guide that people end up working with because we've matched them with somebody outside of their referral network, Mm -hmm. outside of, you know, their zone of comfort and instead into their zone of wonder and genius. Because otherwise we end up in an echo chamber. Exactly. Yeah. That that's that's fantastic. I think that's that's really great because in the same way that personally we all look to push or well we try to push our limits in order to get out of our comfort zone and and that's where we find uh great growth internally and externally. I think this is great on the coaching aspect to to have people that aren't in our own circle and in our own sphere of of the people we follow. That's really neat. Oh, and what God. a what a great name. I didn't even mean to use the word sphere in there, but it came. Oh, look it at came. You, so on brand, <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, but I was actually. I had to. Normally, pun would be intended, but this time it was. It just <laughs> happened. Uh, yeah, yeah. Pun not intended. <laughs> pun not intended. Oh well, Dev, it's been so nice to have you on here. So so many uh, interesting topics, and I feel that we could chat for much much longer to come. And I think we before. Uh, doing our podcast, we went for a walk and, and all the things that we were going to chat about, we didn't. So I think we're going to have to do this again at some point so that we could chat about how it is to, to move to a Whistler town and be a mountain mother at the same time of being a CEO. And there's so many different things. Uh, and as we see the evolution uh, of Sphere as well. But uh, what is your the Instagram handle for Sphere or what pages would you love to send people that would love to know more about you and oh. the business? Well, first of all, we can do a part two anytime and, and whatever questions come in, um, that you want to dig into next time or that we think we want to jam on. I'm a hundred percent game. You know, I love you and I'm always here to support. And, um, and if somebody wanted to follow along with me or sphere, they can go to at sphere.guide on Instagram or at devs development on Instagram to find me personally. And you and I kind of threw this together last minute, so I don't have a code for all your listeners, but I will say that anybody who is inspired to try coaching and actually get a sense of what I'm talking about, um, the, the first trial experience is totally free. It's free to download the app. It's free to, uh, to get matched and to meet with your best fit guides to give coaching a try. But what I will say is if you head to sphere.guide, download the app, get yourself some guides and, um, and meet someone you think you want to work with, please email support at sphere.guide and say, I heard about Sphere <laughs> from Roberto's call-in podcast with Devin and we will drop six complimentary credits uh, for your Amazing. first three months on Sphere. And does that apply to me too? <laughs> Only if you I'm, post about it on Instagram. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm in, you know, I don't know if it's about uh, for myself about the age I've reached, but uh, help with personal and business growth is often the best. So Dev, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. 
Um, we will hopefully see you on here much more often. I will take you up on that part too. Um, and wishing you a wonderful rest of your day. Oh, well, we yes, see you outside very shortly. Yes, yes, yes. I'll see you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> too funny, too funny. But for in the future, I will have proper big microphones and then video at the same time. Listen, so, so people can see us. all divine timing. It's perfect. Thank you for having me, Roberto. Thank you, Dev. And uh, see you shortly. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening in today. Uh, very exciting to, to talk to Devin Brooks. She is a wealth of information, a su very successful woman, um, a wonderful mother, uh, an entrepreneur, and uh, a woman that wears so many different hats and, uh, and is a role model, I think, to, and should be to, to many, many women uh, out there. So thank you, Devin, once again. And for my case, I think it's now time that after a great day, which began with a few laps on the mountain with my buddy, uh, it's time to go pack up for Africa because my next podcast will be coming to you from Tanzania. I'm Roberto for the Expeditioners. See you next time.